Blog Talk Radio. Carol the Coach. Sex, love, and relationships. We talk about it here. Carol the Coach. Compassion with contemporary relevance. I am a psychotherapist. I can be your personal life coach and I can help you with your issues. There are no problems too small or too big. You can talk about anything. Speaker, columnist, radio TV host, and commentator. Carol the Coach brings messages of wellness and empowerment within reach of everyday people every day. Almost five years ago, I lost my soulmate in an accident. He was killed in a plane crash. Life just for me has seemed to stop. There are groups all over the city. I mean, I teach one. It is a specific way to start thinking so that you shift how you see the world, which then shifts your energy, and then you feel better and you actually see things differently. Carol the Coach, always available to at carolthecoach.com. Now, I've got Russell on the line. I'm 47 years old. I'm a truck driver. I am married. I have a wife in San Francisco. Okay. I haven't been home in six months. My thing is, I, I don't know if I have a sex addiction or what the problem is. Why do I want what I can't have? And as soon as I can have it, I don't want it anymore. You're right on target when you say, I don't know if I have a sexual addiction. Well, guess what? Yes, you do. And you know what? That's my specialty, Russell. So you're at the right place. Continue. I meet women online and, and I'm in a different part of the country. I, I travel all 48 states, so I love sex. I hear self-esteem issues. You never felt good enough and you didn't feel like you were getting what you should have then and you're re- Reenacting that now. Do you want to change that about yourself? I got an interesting email this week. And it was from a man who said, Carol, I'm just not getting it. I am unsure as to how to help my partner heal. And I know that you've written this book, but I don't enjoy reading. I don't retain it. Please help. And so the truth of the matter is I know that uh, uh, addicts especially are not necessarily great readers. Their attention span is so compromised. And so I would work with a counselor if I were you to help figure out ways to treat Symptoms that may look like attention deficit disorder. And there are those therapists. I mean, whether you've got the diagnosis or not, it's about creating space in a place, that's this place, that you can uh, work in small increments to remember what you're reading. And this is important for you. You know, you've got a partner, obviously, or you wouldn't be trying to do help her heal. And and she is ramping up like crazy trying to understand you. And she's listening to podcasts and she's used, looking at YouTubes. And, and she's doing so much work to try to understand what's happened. Now, maybe this isn't a new thing for her. Maybe you've been... Um, you have been dealing with recovery for a decade or so. That woman's going to be a little bit more difficult to deal with if she is still feeling a lot of trauma. But regardless, help her heal works for everybody. 
And I wish I could say that we have it in audio book form, but we don't typically do workbooks in audio form because then you won't do the exercises. And the exercises are crucial to understanding yourself and especially your deficits. I mean, one thing that we know is that you have deficits. We all have deficits, but when you've been in addiction for so long, it's inherent and it affects both your own personal development and your relationship skills. So, I'm going to ask you to contact a therapist, and if you've got one, and he or she does not know how to help you with this problem, then Google it. Nothing else, attention deficit psychotherapist in your city, right? And they'll give you tips. They'll tell you instead of reading a chapter, read a page. And then write down the three top, I used to work at a attention deficit clinic, so I know this. The three top bullet points, if you will. And when you write them down, put it in a notebook. Entitle it Chapter 1. And then the next day, do it again. When people have attention deficit disorder or they really have attention deficits, comprehension problems, They need to break things down in chunkable ways and then get up and run around the house. When you've done your page, get up and get active. Vacuum the floor. Clean out your car. Um, Do 15 or 20 jumping jacks, something that breaks the monotony of studying, right? Yeah. Yeah. That is so important. It really, really is. And what happens when you do that? You remember the important parts. And that's what you're here to do. And in Help or Heal, the important parts are practicing ABR and really Using the skills of A, acknowledging the issue, B, validating one of the primary feelings, and R, reassuring her. What's another important concept in Help or Heal? Developing relational trigger-busting skills, right? And why do I say that? I'm saying that because truly those relational skills are as important as any other skills you need to know for life. And certainly it's going to help her heal. Now, I'm saying her heal, but I just worked with a man today, a male partner. Um, I worked with another male partner on Friday. Male partners are beginning to come out and say, this is tough stuff and I've been holding it in and I know that I've got to get it out. We have a local male partners group and it's called, what is it called? 
I'm going to tell you what it's called. I've forgotten it myself, but I don't, I don't get mad at myself. I just figure out a way to access that. It's called the only man in the meeting, right? Because if you're a male partner, you don't have a lot of resources. And for anybody who has ever seen my post-traumatic growth course for female partners know that I include a male in there, and he really goes off in his interview on how few resources there are for dealing with male partners. And that's why I was so excited when I found out that we had somebody on our listserv that works specifically with male partners, and she'd actually written a book to offer that support that she knows so many male partners want. Um, They go through the same issues as a female partner, but it's a little bit different in part because of the societal norms and mores, and also in part because Men need to keep the secret. They don't feel comfortable telling everybody that they've been betrayed. You know, I remember uh, a female partner, I'm sorry, a female addict who part of the addiction was that there was an arousal to pain. And so she liked to be beaten up. And it was not under the guise of sadomasochism. It was under the guise of some trauma reenactment when she was small. And she said, the real charge for me was keeping my body in such a way that my husband would not see the bruises. That was her challenge, but that was also the high, that secrecy, the risk-taking, the knowing that she could get caught. So we got a lot of good things to talk about today. I believe that it is so important for us to have some compassion for male partners and and what they're going through and what they don't necessarily have in terms of resources. And what we can do about that. I mean... The only man in the meeting. That is an apropos of what it feels like to be the only male in a 12-step support group. And her information not only applies to men who have cheating wives, gay partners. You know, I work very intimately with a couple and he's had a lot of betrayal prior to his husband cheating on him and so when this occurred it was incredibly wounding and he definitely is in post-traumatic stress he is he probably has complex post-traumatic stress I I work with him from a coaching perspective instead of a mental health perspective because he's in another state and I can't do mental health. So I'm somewhat limited as to what I can do. But I certainly know that the trauma is real for men as well. 
And so, again, I am so excited to be working with Sybil Georgiana, who has written a book for male partners to offer that support. And so, Sybil, welcome to the show. Thank you for having me. I'm excited to share. Yes, well, I was so excited to hear you were writing this book, and we're always looking for support groups for male partners, and I know I threw it out to a couple of listservs, and Leah uh, Brick, she contacted me and said, I know, I was talking about my book, Unleashing Your Power, Moving Beyond Sexual Betrayal, and she said, I have a couple of men, could they come to your workshop? And I said, no, but I would love to start a workshop just for them. So the fact that this book is so well done, I mean, you go into how does a man feel, what does he think about himself, understanding his stress response. But let's just talk a little bit about the kinds of things that you really um, feel that a male partner goes through. First of all, how did you get... Yes. I mean, I'm so excited. I'm sorry I'm interrupting you here because it is so hard to um, serve men because um, I think maybe even one of the obstacles is that they may not even think that it is manly to seek help. I think we find that easier in in female partners. Um, But I'm so excited to hear that you would want to offer that uh, workshop um, for the men because um, even looking for a a male support group – is really, you know, there's not that many out there. Um, so I'm so excited to, to serve in that capacity because even when I, I have male partners in my practice, getting them to a resource that they could just look things up with, more like a manual with like action steps, uh, things, what they could expect, um, I felt that that was missing, and so I put that resource together for them. Well, yes, and... You did a very, very good job. So is that how you got involved with this when you realized what a limited amount of resources were available for male partners? Yes, uh, because um, I love when when clients come in that I give them something to read or something to look up or that they don't just think I'm I'm coming up with treatment recommendations. And I did not have that um, easily accessible for, for men coming in, um, and even how they may uh, think about um, even this notion of men experiencing betrayal, you know, there's this myth that men are always strong and they know what they want, and, and, and that's not going to be happening to them. And when the reality then is that um, that same rupture, as you mentioned it earlier, in, in that great wound from that ruptured relationship and this Feelings and symptoms that can be very similar to what we see in female partners um, can be so debilitating, you know, and then there's so little information out there for them. Well, absolutely. So do you have an emergency first first aid kit, or if you will, uh, that you advise male partners to resource from? Yes, and actually I put that right at the beginning of that uh, resource because I have had specifically one partner who said, I really, if, as you're putting this together, I would want them to know from the trenches um, what they should write, you know, go to, what I wish I would have known. And so it's it's one of those, um, you know, emergency um, 
first aid kits that may not feel great when you go through it, but it's having applied it to yourself that may make you then really may make a big difference. So first and foremost, um, get an STD test. Um, educate yourself about betrayal trauma. What's happening? Um, you're not to blame. You're not. It's not your fault. Uh, you know, but even knowing why am I feeling so intensely, um, then getting the professional support to learn and how to manage even these, um, you know, triggers that come out of blue a lot of times, uh, interrupting them and, and getting the support set up. Um, ideally, even um, as, as, you know, with, with people who understand, like in a, in a COSA meeting and a 12-step group, they understand what you're dealing with without you having to decide, um, you know, what should family and friends know, who should be, uh, you know, hearing what and at what time, because my the partner who really wanted uh, that these pieces are to be included in an emergency kit said that unringing a bell that you rang when you shared with others, that's not possible. So be careful, and that was the other point here, to, to be careful as to what you share with others, uh, because... Um, you may not get that support in the way how we would want it um, through the share. So getting an educated person or somebody who, who's been, you know, learning and, and growing and healing um, themselves, that might be someone to share with who can then easily empathize with you where you're at um, instead of having people who may not know at all um, how to deal with betrayal trauma. Well, absolutely, and you know, you give some of the basics that anybody really would would need to use if they were um, finding out about discovery, finding out about disclosure. Uh, who who do you think that they should look for, or what do you think that they should look for as they're trying to find a therapist that's sensitive to this? Yes, and that was another thing I really wanted to to highlight because. I get when people come to my office, a lot of times they've seen multiple therapists and it's so sensitive to um, to get support with someone who has a lot of you know, knowledge as early as possible. So questions to ask could be even, um, is this a therapist a what they call a certified sex addiction therapist, a CSAT? So someone who's been trained specifically, had supervision, had case consultations to help a person with compulsivity and who has had at least some basic education on a betrayal trauma through that certification so that it's not looked at as, oh, you know, there was too much anger in the relationship or it is misdiagnosed as something where, you know, people should just have more sex and this will go away, right? So so really in, in, instead have somebody who is, who's has been certified in their work with sex addiction and even um, – to ask them specifically, have you heard of partner trauma? Like, is there, have you been trained? Do you know what that means, betrayal trauma? Um, to quiz them, really, um, to understand are they operating more from a uh, treatment model that was around uh, maybe longer, where we look at an addiction as then having a partner or somebody who has an addiction and somebody who is with a with with someone with an addiction is 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 like a co-addicted person also must have some addiction piece and instead we know now that the influence with the post-traumatic stress is is a completely different way we would want to attend to to somebody with that what we call the trail trauma 
from a betrayal trauma lens. And and even to go as far as asking the therapist uh, about their uh, ability to work with you and your triggers specifically. So there's um, what we call somatic type of therapies where we work specifically with the body. So soma means body in Greek. So, But these types of therapy really help to get the stress response gently kind of out of the body so that it doesn't keep amping up and keeping you in the triggers. And then I yeah. also think, and, yes, you go, please. Well, I'm, so I was wondering, you know, we all know that partners say to themselves over and over and over, what is real in my life? I mean, I thought I knew what my life was all about, and then, bam, I find out that it, it is a lie. And so that kind of questioning of one's own existential self and the existential world around them really creates an identity deficit, I believe. And you talk about that in, your, in the book. And, and I had really wanted you to, to tell our listening audience um, about the different types of betrayal trauma you know, some of, of what you learned from Omar Minwala. Yes, and I think he, he and his, his research friends have done amazing work to identify how differentiated, how many different types of um, addiction or sex addiction, love addiction, induced trauma um, there are to to really show specifically even with the discovery that suddenly with that discovery of these uh, behaviors, um, everything kind of shatters. So uh, really from the starting point of what what is being found out, you are, you're knowing that suddenly what you thought it was is, is really not what it was for your significant other. And um, this being in loss with the reality is it, it's so out of, you know, it feels like as if you are out of touch. And so it's very hard to identify even what was deceptive and what not. But I think even in this work, we want to look also um, at ways to help with understanding how the body responds to trauma because it can so impact us physically. And you may not have been somebody who struggled with the body image issues prior, but suddenly you find yourself wanting to go for plastic surgery um, because you're feeling maybe you're too old or your your body is not looking at how it was when you when you met your significant other um, it's you know we could see even typical dis, you know distress around not being able to sleep uh, feeling you you don't even know how you're driving to work and back so you feel you're completely lost your grounding in reality um, and and so then it, it at the same time I feel it validates when we say that it is such an such an existential crisis, no wonder you you feel you're floating around in space, right? So so one of those symptoms that are so hard to deal with a lot of times is that these memories from the discovery come back in and in and in and and just you are in it all the time and you are so sensitive to to feeling like it could happen any moment or did it just happen again or was it real or was it not? And so um Really, it, it puts the lens on the more post-traumatic stress um, that could be easily triggered even by, let's say, you're, you're looking on your phone to photos, photos and you wonder, when we were at the baseball game together, was, was that really, were we really enjoying ourselves or, or was it not? 
And so there's so many facets that can come up, including how we feel as a, in our self-concept, you know, how, how we define ourselves. Um, that these roles that we have now, and me as a woman speaking here, like as a mom, as a, a friend, as a teacher. Um, now, for the guys, that's really more how they see themselves as a as a guy, as a provider, maybe as a father, male, and all of that is suddenly also at stake. It can be so confusing to really find the trauma also affecting you in your core of your gender identity, so to speak. Um, And so you, again, this is the point to remind you that you may blame yourself as like an automatic response to this experience that you had with the betrayal. But at the same time, we want to say again, you are not to blame. And um, there's nothing that you caused this betrayal to happen. And that is such an important part, isn't it, Giselle? Because truly, I am so, I see it over and over and over again. The partner says, how could I have avoided this? What could I have done differently? Why wasn't he satisfied with me? What was wrong with me? And so in this situation, you're saying male partners also have those same feelings. They wonder what was wrong with them. Absolutely. And that they would they would think about themselves. And you see these perfectly fine individuals thinking that they were not enough to their spouse. And that is as heartbreaking, I feel it is, for the female partners I work with as, as I see men in that, with that question, was I not enough for you? Was my relationship not enough? You know, so, so these existential questions... And, and so the, even as we see it with the coupleship or relationship then being so traumatized um, and maybe you find yourself reacting in ways that you had your life going, you, you moved along, and now you're in this very sense of an insecurity that you react in these ways that you never imagined, which, again, we understand through the lens of the betrayal trauma as the relational trauma, not as suddenly you lost all your competencies. It's really as if the betrayal trauma put like this huge, you know, you're driving in the desert and you have your, your headlights, you know, full of dust and dirt. And the betrayal trauma is like it wants to clog up your headlights, you know, what your life is and your sense of self is. And, you know, we want to just wipe down and gently attend to that betrayal trauma so that it doesn't keep you, you know, from having access to your values, your sense of self, and how you want to be in this world. It's so, it's just so overshadowing. And I, I get that. Now, this 13 types of sex addiction uh, taken from Omar, it's called the SAIT model, S-A-I-T, because what it really does is it takes a look at the trauma that's found in partners of sex addicts. So would you just list those different traumas so we can have um, an idea of what they go through as discovery occurs? Yes. So I think he lists them as number one with uh, discovery trauma. So this ongoing discovery of what happened, the impact can cause you fear in that shattered state of your sense of self. Number two would be a disclosure trauma. So even when things come out, it 
doesn't come out healthy and a lot of times as healthily filtered and with the support of a therapist as it's then formally disclosed, but it can instead be this this you know ongoing incident where the partner gets more and more pieces and then at the same time um, it's just looking at this unhealth and the deception and these behaviors that can cause that traumatic stress response. The number three of the types of betrayal is the um, what they call the break with the ego. So the sense of your reality uh, ego or a fragmentation of the reality ego, meaning your sense of reality becomes traumatized and feels completely shattered. And you change in your way of seeing yourself. You think you are not good enough, and that is a sudden loss of yourself. Then the betrayal trauma um, number four in that types of betrayal trauma is called an impact to the body and a medical piece, an intersection with the body. And it really puts uh, potentially these um, physical symptoms into your system, such as not being able to sleep, weight loss, weight gain, hair loss, you find yourself, uh, you know, in that hypersensitivity. Then he lists uh, trauma due to uh, external crisis and that destabilization that comes with this whole discovery of betrayal trauma as the fifth type here. And um, even changes to our routines when, you know, you have to figure out different ways to do childcare or who's picking up the child or living arrangements that can cause an understandable, um, you know, traumatic response. And then he talks in the sixth type of what we call hypervigilance and re-experiencing of the same, you know, pieces of what was disclosed or flashbacks of what um, was shared about or what you came across. Then he lists as number nine um, gender-related trauma. So, being so impacted as a guy, as a male partner, as a father. Um, and uh, the relational trauma comes as uh, the 10th type here uh, with the attachment injuries where really with this load of these different types of sex addiction-induced trauma, it also so impacts your relationships, including the attachment to yourself and to others. And that's then further explained in... Um, the point number or the type 11, um, where the, he talks about family, community, and social trauma, where other relationships, understandably, how you, for example, relate to the kids and extended family members, coworkers, um, that could be also impacted uh, severely. You may lose friends where there were maybe overlap of, of people knowing or unhealthy behaviors being in social circles. And then, unfortunately, also this area of what we call treatment-induced trauma. So when you go to a therapist or a medical provider who's not properly educated about betrayal trauma and then who may you know, put you in a category would not help you with the betrayal and the trigger management. Um, and I just had somebody earlier today who called me a male partner who said that his girlfriend's first therapist said that she wasn't sure that sex addiction existed. So, you know, hearing that and then needing to look for a different provider or being treated in that framework 
can then also induce what we call treatment-induced trauma. And then the last but not least amount of tra- or type of trauma is what we call spiritual or existential trauma, where even our way how we relate to to God, where we have faith, religion, higher power, how we feel where our position is in the universe, so to speak, that is extremely compromised and impacted because how can, you know, how I had my lens with regards to faith, how can this then happen while I am with my faith values? So the faith um, and our orientation to make sense of us as a person, as a human being, can feel very shattered deep in our souls. Oh, you know, Sybil, you nailed it when you described his sex addiction uh, criteria and how that affects the partner. And Omar Manuela is a master at understanding partner betrayal. He was one of the first. He actually helped to, was on the founding board of APSATS, which is a partner-sensitive training program for clinicians and coaches, of which I train uh, all the coaches and clinicians in the world. So I love talking about this. And you are making it simple. You're bringing it home to people that are hearing about their own trauma. And if we've got sex addicts out there, male or female, uh, they can hear this and recognize what they've done in their own families, the collateral damage, if you will, of, of the despair. Now, I have a question because I want to remind my audience that this is a new book that Giselle has a simple, I don't know, you know, I'm doing an EMDR workshop with Giselle, and you sound just like her because you're from Germany, aren't you, originally? <laughs> I am very much from Germany. Yes, you can hear that at any time of the day. That's right. I know. It's beautiful. So please forgive me. You have written this new book, and it makes everything simple. It's called A Man's Tools for Addressing Betrayal, and the information she is sharing with us is from that book. Do you have any idea when we're going to be able to get it? Well, it is in the last and final revisions, so I'm hoping that even early next month, which is starting Thursday, so it's not far away, um, I will be able to have that released to iBooks, um, you know, Google Play, Android, um, Barnes and Nobles, um, and it, it just probably takes a couple of days with the ISBM, but it is um, it is in its final stages to be released. Um, literally in the next, I'm hoping in the next couple of days. It is time because I have. Um, my own male clients that I really want to give this book to, um, even if they are already now with a therapist a lot in the book, describes resources for yourself or your significant other even to find a therapist. But there is still things that, um, so I'm hoping that early in the first um, half of April that it should be available. Oh, that's excellent. And Sybil, tell me, um, what options do you feel exist for partners who discover the betrayal with regards to handling the relationship with the one who betrayed i mean do you see do you see a similarity between how the interaction is for a betrayed male partner versus a betrayed female partner i think so and um so 
I think a lot of times in the culture is looked at that guys may not care as much about their relationship. And again, this is a total stereotype. I don't agree with that at all. And and so so there are different ways, you know, immediately, you know, when when this when betrayal is discovered that that, you know, the the person you could have the you could leave the relationship right there and then and, and leave it behind as option number one, which however you know, we understand it as, as, as a way to distance yourself from that incredible pain that you're in. Um, but at the same time, it may not reflect what you, how you had anticipated that relationship to go. So at the same time, that is an option. And I think a lot of times men are looked at as if they would choose that option um, more, li- more easily, which I don't think that is um, the case. But I think that could be one of those myths that people say, oh, you know, the guys should just keep moving on, which I don't think so from my practice or even from working with, you know, men in my, in my, um, in my practice uh, who are not dealing with this topic. Um, but at the same time, it is always an option to say you could just leave that relationship behind and, and, and move into a different, um, you know, relationship constellation. However, that does not complete and relieve the pain that people are in. The second option that there is is to stay with the party who who is needing to do the repair work, um, and even if they are not doing the repair work, you would stay with it because you feel yourself committed. But at the same time, you know you can then in that point say, "This is you know you, you need to grow, um, you need to recover." You need to um, do repair work. You can make requests um, so that it doesn't feel you're needing to stay with someone um, who's not uh, pursuing health and repair and growth. And then another option is that you would take a little bit of a leaning back approach and watch what the other person does in terms of repairing. Um, And then based on watching the repair and the growth, then you can make a decision at some point, um, and I would usually say to my clients to do a set three months, four months, six months, to make a short-term goal to watch the other per- person's effort to repair. And if you have then these data points coming in, such as a disclosure that's facilitated with another therapist, um, the ability to seek emotional restitution come your way, then you can decide, you know, after that time of, of observing that you re- recommit yourself to that relationship. So it's more of a time, the option three is more a time of observation and during which then, you know, working on your own trigger management, again, that are not your fault, but that you're dealing with, understandably, uh, taking good care of yourself, um, clearing out any, any topics or things you want to work on, that would be um, a good time to do that then. And so do you believe that male partners have different needs when it comes to boundaries and behavioral requests? I think they have the same needs, but they may, men may have a harder time conveying those needs. And, again, this may, again, be just very limited based on the men I've worked with. Um, we always look at men as, you know, these straight shooters going forward, they have the action list. But really, 
the needs for safety, the needs for um, honesty, the needs for compassion, they, are, they, are, they don't have it easier to, to find ways to request them and to, to have those needs met. And that would be a part of the work we would do to help be, them being really clear on these needs and to have a measurable outcome or a measurable tool to make a request and to get these needs met in a healthy way. You know, not being, I mean, it doesn't even have to be pushy or it doesn't have to be, um, you know, overpowering. It can be really in that respectful, empathetic way of setting boundaries that protect the men's needs as much as it would help the person with the problem behavior get into the most health um, that is necessary for her to be at her best. Absolutely. So, Again, what would some of those boundaries be? And I think that's a really good question because we can be as practical as possible on these boundaries. I mean, boundaries sound such a, like such a psychological term. But even to say, okay, what are these non-negotiable things such as certain behaviors needing to stop, um, apps perhaps um, needing to be uninstalled from a, uh, from a phone or from a computer, um, it could be um, things such as um, communicating when um, the person with the problematic behaviors changes the location where they're at, um, notifying each other when you're running late. Um, it could be uh, on boundaries around uh, specifically on even like use of language or use of suggestive um, you know, being with other people, using emojis, you know, online interactions that that can be, uh, you know, m- I mean, really that we would want to curb so that um, there's a reset even in the way of communication. Um, but there is a lot even around physical boundaries that are so important to, uh, for example, even for a guy to say, I'm the one, if I want to have touch, if I want to have closeness, I'm going to be the one initiating the touch. Um, if I'm in my space, don't come in and interrupt me, um, but I need um, time to finish and then I can uh, recommit myself to some other thing to do. And also in terms of when when these difficult conversations about what happened, what time are they taking place in the daytime? You know, we all still need to, you know, make sure the kids are attended to, going to work, working from home. Um, and, and so even keeping certain conversations to a certain time of the day, not later than maybe 9 o'clock in the evening, can be a physical boundary to help, um, you know, help help keep uh, or, or make a situation as healthy as possible. And then with that, um, there can be action steps we can put in. We can ask the significant other to stop a certain action. We can remove ourselves to increase space. You can have your, your privacy when you take a shower, when you work out. Uh, you may sleep in another room that you as the partner can can initiate even if your significant other's response is not as 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 understanding and as empathetic as we want it to be. Um, and there's, you know, it sounds, sounds funny again for guys. They care about sexuality as much as we care as a woman that's value-driven sexuality. And so even sexual boundaries can be 
to say um, that the guy um, initiates the sexuality as he feels uh, fit or as he feels that there's um, these outside boundaries of, let's say, not having access to certain apps or so once that's put in place. And to even empower a guy to say, yes, I I am going to be the one who initiates. I don't want you to come and you know, be suggestive or flirtive. That's too much for me right now. I need to be the one initiating. Otherwise, I need to create the space. Um, and so, so really to help with that, and last but not least, boundaries around communication. So, for example, what um, to share with others, family members and friends, children, um, so that to be on the, on the same page as well there with whom what type of information will be shared. Well, and, and in your book, it goes into what to share and how to share to get the most bang for your buck, if you will, so that you're, you're learning assertiveness and gentle assertiveness and behavioral requests that are, that are done in a way that does not make her feel defensive so that he's more likely to at least feel like she understood what he asked. And that can be tough because, you know, communication is tough when there's conflict anyway. And, and we all believe that conflict is normal, natural, and necessary. But when it's combined with betrayal, it's the worst kind of conflict because it throws anybody's brain offline. And so I love the fact that you talk about these behavioral requests, you know, I would like for you to or what I would like is, or would you be willing to blank? Um, it really goes into a simple formula for being clear and direct about what you think, how you feel, and what you need. Uh, now, I got a question. Does your book, does it talk at all about gay relationships? I started it out with, that the uh, betrayal trauma does not stop with, you know, ethnic background, sexual orientation. So it has that at the beginning um, as a reference point, but there's no specific difference for heterosexual versus gay couples in this. Um, but at the, in the foreword, I really listed these different, um, you know, identities that we could identify as in and say, is this for me? Should I look through this? And I just stated that, that, there, there's many um, of these orientations that that are equally affected, um, and I think you're making such a good point with regards to the reactivity that so understandably comes with the betrayal trauma. So that mm-hmm. um, that it's it's really hard even in the moment to say, okay, I'm not at my best here. I don't even think I could take a no as an answer, right? So. So uh, and and these these intricate layers that comes with, whether we look at the, the ethnic background, the orientation background. I mean, there's so many ways as to what makes these um, commun- the points of communication. So what can that make so can make that so so demanding or so so challenging? Um, and maybe the one thing to have in the back of your mind is that when you are not getting the best answer or you still had an, you know, an argument and you tried it but it didn't quite work out, 
you're not alone in this. You know, that's why we would want you to have a support group or a therapist who can help you with this because it is the hardest thing to do the communication when there's so much going on and so much in, in, in change, so to speak. I know, and since you and I both believe in that, would you go over the listening skills that you encourage anyone to use, whether they're the betrayed or the betrayer? Absolutely. Um, And I think uh, to look at it even through the lens that we all want empathy. We all want to be having somebody who listens to us, who puts themselves into our shoes, what we are dealing with. And so to have that in the back of your mind here, we're not saying that you then as the listening person have to go always, always in uh, as a listener. We're just saying that it's one way um, to be in this communication. And if, if it's not, not developed enough that there is more resources we would want to put there. So as a listening person, um, when you hear and the person share, keep in mind that the person's response is driven by their or by her current degree of health inside an ability to communicate. So her response is her side of the fence, and in contrast, what you hear reflects your reality about the situation. So you may have two different, two different things that even come out as you as you have somebody communicate and you in the in the listening mode. So consider then reflecting within yourself what your reality looks like, and that may be something that you would do first, maybe with with somebody, um, you know, in 12-step, with a therapist where somebody can slow that down and say, okay, when you tell me, oh, I didn't use the car key, I made up that, you know, to, to kind of really understand also what your feelings were, what your reality were when, you know, what happened, um, you know, took place within you there. And as you want to increase the listening capacity, think even about positioning yourself and your body in a way that you are facing your partner and look at the partner and watch her expression, maybe her feelings, the body language, and listen to the words. Now, understandably, that can be so hard when you have these triggers, you're dealing with yourself, and you feel it's all, you know, your heart's racing and your heart's beating. So even doing a little bit of a relaxation in that, uh, breathing deeply, maybe just take a break when it's too intense, and then thanking the person for sharing um, and and as you thank them, that doesn't mean you agree with them. It doesn't mean that you say your level of health is enough for our relationship. We're just saying that, you know, you're acknowledging what the other person had to say. And then if you want to really, you know, again, you're not locked in with, with, with leaving it like that, you could then respond with needing more time to think about what you heard or how to decide on how you want to handle what you heard from her. So you could let the person know at the time that you will get back to them. So I'll let you know by tomorrow what, what I'm willing to, um, you know, share with you in response to what you told me. I'll get back to you on this. Or when you are in the moment and you know already how you need it, uh, you can share and say, uh, thanks for your response. I requested that you stop using an app. Uh, if I hear you correctly, you don't want to, you know, let's say let go of your Facebook app. And then you can make a stronger request such as, nevertheless, this is really important to me. Um, Can you look at that with your therapist? So you could be 
you could, you know, point to what you need with the end of a request and say, at the same time, I need this. Nevertheless, we need to talk with a therapist about this. Um, you know, and and then really also, alternatively, you could say, I'm meeting you halfway as you share about, you know, you not wanting to uninstall, let's say, the Facebook app. Um, at the same time, you know, let's find some ways that somebody helps you with that app because I'm concerned that, you know, it would be a way to act out again. So there are different ways to to talk, and at the same time, I would want the person with the triggers to know that, that you know, we want to attend to the triggers so that the communication can get better. You know, so it's it's not something that we would expect then to be unaffected. Communication would be understandably affected by triggers as well. 100%. I am telling you, this book is a, is a got-to-get for anybody who wants to improve their skills and work through their own betrayal trauma, and it's for men who clearly don't have enough resources. And so, Sybil Georgiana, I want to thank you so much for this incredible book. Again, it's called A Man's Tools for Addressing Betrayal. Everybody write it down because it should be out during the month of May. And I just can't thank you enough for helping this very special population heal. I mean, it's, it's amazing, and, and thanks again. Thank you so much for your time. I so appreciate it. Absolutely. Keep us posted. I can feel more books coming on. <laughs> <laughs> Possibly. Yes, there's, there's always more to add, um, especially as we learn more and how to best help them heal. Absolutely. And, you know, you are a born teacher, so it's so this book is so easy to read. It's so well organized. And for the traumatized brain, I recommend it highly. And so I will look forward to passing this on to my male partners. And, you know, I know that you do a great job of helping partners not only get healthy themselves, but finding the right resources themselves. So thank you again. Thank you so much, and I'm so honored about your time, and I'm hoping that together we can serve many, many more. Uh, I agree 100%. Make it a good one. Okay, yes, you too. Yeah, thanks for your time. Bye-bye. Bye. So again, Sybil Georgiana, not Giselle, um, and what a wonderful book it is. It is absolutely imperative for men to talk about betrayal. So if you know somebody in your group, please tell them about this group. And you know us, we talk about every type of betrayal and every type of resource out there. So as I say at the end of every show, there will one of you at all times fearlessly have the courage to be yourself. Make it a good week.